Um, okay, so we're again asking for everyone's consent because we're in Massachusetts to video and audio record you. I give consent. Yes. Yes. Thank you, everybody. Yes. Okay. One, two, go. Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio Extra Innings, and we are counting down to see if the red, if the, sorry. Okay, ready? Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio Extra Innings, and we are very excited to have back Carrie Baker to continue a wonderful conversation that we had begun. Joining me today as co-hosts are Martha from Boston Red Cloaks, Michelle from Boston Red Cloaks, Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, Carrie. Great to see you. Hi, great to see you. Or hear you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you recently wrote an article in Ms. called When Women Vote, Celebrating Protest, Power, and Progress, published on August 19th. And it's so wonderful this week when we're talking to you is the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. And also the week where we heard Senator Harris accept the nomination for vice president. So it gives so um, some positive news. Um, have you had any special thoughts this week? Because you've been clearly following both abortion as healthcare, which is an important reproductive justice issue, but also the broader landscape about how women are working towards equity. I think we're at a critical juncture in this country. We're at a turning point. We've had obviously a disastrous last four years as far as women's rights. The Trump administration has rolled back women's rights in a range of areas, not only reproductive health, but sexual assault, like with Betsy DeVos's Title IX guidelines that are regulations that have rolled back the rights of students to be free from sexual assault, but in many other areas as well, employment, um, you know, so um, I really think, you know, you had the women's marches, you have this incredible influx of women into politics. The 2018 elections had record numbers of women, female candidates and record numbers of women winning office and at the state level and at the federal level. Uh, I saw a report recently saying there's a record number of women running this year as well. You know, it's been long, long overdue. When Alice Paul was fighting mm -hmm. for the suffrage a hundred years ago, uh, you know, she had a vision and I really think that we are still fighting for that, you know, for equality, um, not only based on sex, but also based on race, right? Everything that's happening um, around Black Lives Matter. And, um, you know, we hear a lot about men being targeted by police violence, but black women get targeted by police violence just as high rates um, uh, compared to white women. So um, we have a long way to go to realizing the vision of our country as equal and just. And I think that, you know, I like to think that Trump is the dying gasp of the hetero white supremacist patriarchy and that we have a feminist future a feminist anti-racist future, but you know, we gotta fight. We've gotta fight, we've gotta get out there voting. And I, that's what I say to people, you know, tell everybody you know to vote, to get out there, to get calling states where, um, you know, their elections, particularly in the Senate are at issue, states like Maine, states like um, uh, Arizona and other state, Kansas, and make sure that we have the Senate because that's absolutely critical. Um, especially with regard to judges. 
it's interesting the landscape that you paint there where in Massachusetts, on the one hand, we have this reputation for being a blue state and being really progressive. On the other hand, we again have a Republican governor mm -hmm. who does not lead when it comes to reproductive justice or racial justice. Mm -hmm. We have a state legislature that is predominantly men and predominantly white men. 70% of the state legislature is still men. Um, we had a fantastic conversation with state rep Trom Wynn, who is one of six women of color. I mean, it is shocking in 2020 for people who don't really follow state government to hear these kinds of things. A lot of people that I know write postcards at the national level. They're really worried about women and racial justice in Alabama and Georgia and North Carolina, but they aren't always mm -hmm. quite aware of what it looks like right now at the state house. When you look at the state house, have you seen meaningful change in the last couple of years? Do you think it's coming? I think we have a long way to go. I mean, one example is we, we like to think of Massachusetts as so progressive, but look at our um, criminal justice system and our incarceration rate and how many people we have locked up on bail. Um, you know, we're not a progressive state on criminal justice issues and incarceration issues. Uh, you know, reproductive rights. I mean, Massachusetts was the state that went all the way to the Supreme Court on the question in, in the early 70s of whether people had the right to access birth control if they weren't married, right? And, you know, we, we have really conservative laws. Um, you know, there's a lot of Catholics and religious people back then who had a lot of political power and put in place one of the nation's first parental consent laws. The one that's, you know, would be overturned by the Roe Act was passed in 1974, the year after Roe versus Wade. And so, you know, we have a lot of those legacies still on the books and we really need to um, wake up and work to try to live up to our reputation as a progressive state. We have a long way to go. But I do think there's a lot of people mobilizing. Um, I'm on the Planned Parenthood um, Action Fund doing interviews with candidates. And I, we've been interviewing all these amazing people that have just been um, mobilized by what's happened in our country over the last four years that are now running for office. And so I'm hoping there will be change at the state legislature. You know, it's funny, um, we've interviewed some people too. We've been going at following the Roe Act, looking at different stakeholders mm -hmm. and different facets of reproductive justice. So just this week, we talked to both a doctor and also a medical interpreter. They actually both happen to also be running for office, which right. is very interesting looking at them from their professional background and then finding that they are also stepping up. Karen, I mean, we've had quite a week, haven't we? Yes. Martha? Like. Yes, yes, we have. It's really been exciting, though, yeah. I think it's really important to get all kinds of people in the legislature, not just professional politicians, but people who are coming from, you know, you said a doctor or somebody who works in a minimum wage job, somebody that works in social work, a teacher, you know, all different kinds of people, because we need that range of experience to inform our laws. And, you know, I think that for too long, it's only been something that somebody who's wealthy and highly educated can access, especially at the federal level, you know, and that we really need to have a broader range and a more representative range of people in our government. One of the one of the setbacks in with the Roe Act, I I think, has been the incredible resistance to uh, getting rid of parental consent, and 
out here on the eastern part of the state, we feel that, that that's the sense we get is that that's what's holding Roe back. What's it like where you are? How do, how do people, other organizations you um, inter, um, interlock with, how do they feel about, hang, should we hang on to the parental consent or should we take what we can get? So I think that people don't really understand what parental consent is and how it functions. And, you know, sort of just at first blush, it's like, well, sure, parents should be able to be involved in medical decisions involving their children, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that the parental consent law, first of all, it doesn't increase the number of young people that consult with their parents. If you look at the data, the percentage of children in Massachusetts or young people in Massachusetts who talk to their parents, it's about 77%, which is about the same rate as in states without parental consent. So the law is not increasing the likelihood that a young person will speak to their parent. For the 23% that seek judicial bypass, it's often, it's not because they're not talking to their parents. It's because their parents are unavailable to go to the doctor with them. Maybe their parents have a medical problem. Maybe they have COVID. Maybe they have a job where they can't take the day off. Or maybe they're incarcerated. Or maybe the child is in foster care and doesn't have access to their parents. Because the law in Massachusetts requires that the parent actually take the day off and go into the medical appointment with their child and sign off permission, many parents can't afford to do that. So as a result, this provision means that the young people that have to use judicial bypass are the most vulnerable, the most at risk, um, low-income youth and youth of color. The other, I think, myth about parental consent is that it's 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds who are sneaking around behind their parents' backs or 12-year-olds to hear the other side talk. That's not at all what's happening. It's, it's largely 16 and 17-year-olds. I think there have only been about 10 cases in the decades um, since this has existed that have involved younger children. And again, it's because of these situations where parents are just not available and so they've had to use judicial bypass. The other thing is doctors are not qualified to make these kinds of decisions. Wait. I, I'm sorry, judges are not qualified to make these kinds of decisions. Doctors, in fact, are mandatory reporters. So if there's evidence of sexual assault, they'll report it. Judges are not. Um, doctors have experience about counseling um, patients about their um, medical needs. Judges know nothing about that. And so, you know, for lots of reasons, this law is not doing what it was intended to do. In fact, it's just setting up barriers. Um, a Harvard professor did a study about the impact of parental consent, and it delayed access to care from between six to 21 days. And again, often young people have a harder time knowing when they're pregnant, so they're already seeking care at later periods. And then if you delay it another three weeks, then you're pushing it later in pregnancy when it's a little more dangerous, but also um, it's more expensive and harder to get. So there's just a lot of reasons why parental consent is not a good idea. And when I explain this to people, often they get on board and they understand. I think it's hard with the legislators though, because we bumped into some in our red cloaks handmade attire, where when we have conversations at the state house, we bump into people in the hall who are not our own personal legislator, but it gives an opportunity to break the ice and have a conversation. Yeah. 
for those who really don't understand what we had talked about when we first visited with you, they don't understand what you just said. You just said for young teenagers, they may not realize that they've missed a period because for many young women, their periods don't come on a regular basis when they're starting. They really don't know. Many of them haven't had adequate health education at school and they're learning about sex on the internet and they may or may not get accurate information. Well, and at least 70% of them have never had a period because they're men. Going back to what Martha was saying, they need that education because they don't understand what's going on. They don't, and they're not comfortable talking about it. And it's tricky right now. I think, I guess I'm going to draw a parallel between the suffragists and where we are now looking at reproductive justice, because at least to me, it seems like without the right to control your own body, the right to vote it's not that it doesn't matter, but many, many people don't vote. I wish they all did, but many people feel like they're not informed enough to make a good choice. They can't take off a day from work. They don't have early voting for whatever reason they don't, but they do need to go about their daily life in charge of their body. And we've talked about that many of the women who become pregnant and cannot have another child have children already, or they have health issues, or they during COVID have lost their job. They don't have enough money to take care of themselves. They don't have enough money to pay their rent. They just can't do it. It seems like when you're talking to legislators about the judicial bypass and the teenagers, for some reason, instead of holding all those complex thoughts in their mind, they allow themselves this one little thing and they say like, well, that's it. I can't, you know, I'm not going to go along with the Roe Act because I feel like I'd want my grandchild to come to, to my child as one of the men we met. Remember that, Martha? Yes, I, I remember very vividly that guy that said that he couldn't uh, vote or he was voting no because he wanted his grandchild because his, his child didn't, it didn't affect her, but her grandchildren did. And she, he wanted them to go to the parents and I had to, I just had to bite my tongue to tell him because it was going in a, in different ways. And also he's the same one that told us that he was uh, on this issue. He was asking his wife what he wanted her to vote. And I'm like, that really blew my mind. And um, Karen was saying that the Massachusetts is it's a blue it's considered a blue state and I see I lived in Georgia Texas and I I travel a lot in Alabama and Mississippi and Kansas and we uh, when you are from those uh, states you see Massachusetts as a liberal state and as a very blue state, because everybody is comparing to what uh, what they have. And yes, compared to the laws and everything in those states, I, Massachusetts is very liberal. But now that once you live here, it you understand that the the laws are archaic. They're old-fashioned, and also Western Massachusetts. Massachusetts is very different from the Boston area, all the all the East Coast, I, I would say. So, so yes, I and the other thing I have found very amusing 
for me, because I am Mexican, is that people decide on who to vote on, on their views of abortion. I mean, mm -hmm. abortion is not the only thing on the books. There's a economy, there's family, there's a lot of things you have to take in, uh, in consideration. And the only, the only or the, the most important one is abortion. And I just cannot, cannot understand that. Yeah, that's a longer conversation because I, I, it's, it's, it is perplexing, but it, there's, I think there's a lot of things involved. It has a lot of, to do with gender and sexuality and race in our country and uh, white supremacy, I think, but that, that might be another conversation. But one thing I would say to you in response to that legislator who was concerned about his granddaughter, he needs to realize that he's driving his granddaughter out of the state. If she's not comfortable with speaking with her mother, she's just gonna drive to Connecticut or she's gonna drive to another state to get an abortion. It's not gonna prevent her from getting an abortion. It just means that, you know, it's, it's gonna be harder for her and, um, and potentially, you know, in the time of COVID more dangerous. Well, or there's also, we know young people who read on the internet, you know, about drinking bleach or trying homemade chemical things that they think if they can't get access to the morning after pill and word spreads inaccurately on the internet. So they can damage and hurt themselves as women always have yeah. when they would throw themselves down the stairs or find some other way to try. I, I think it is a longer conversation, but I would say that when you point to being a progressive state, we know now looking at racial injustice that progressive white women white men who think they're progressive can often do considerable harm when it comes to not letting true racial equity move forward. And there's a lot of unpacking about white privilege and white fragility that we need to do. Mm -hmm. I think when we talk about, and many of us are trying to do, um, when we talk about why, to Martha's question, why people vote based on abortion, we have to look at, I think, the patriarchy overall. It's embedded in our laws, literally in Massachusetts, in the definitions, right? Mm -hmm. And it's embedded in most parts of our law, where denying women the right to their bodily autonomy is a way to not let them be true, free people. Yes. And, and like I say, I, I would also say it's a way of maintaining white supremacy. I think it has everything to do, it goes all the way back to slavery when, um, you know, people that owned other people coerced their reproduction. I think it's a legacy of that. Um, but like I say, that's a whole nother conversation. Well, it's, it leads to something else like Breonna, Breonna Taylor, still nothing happening there. Mm -hmm. Right. She's a black woman in terms of the patriarchal order. It, it's white male arguably white women, black men, and black women, and people of color. I mean, it's, there is a hierarchy, and a black woman is often at the end of it. And what we've seen in looking at the Roe Act is there are disparate outcomes for black women in the state right now. So I find it interesting when the legislator is talking about prioritizing legislation that will look at racial justice, and they haven't picked up on the Roe Act yet. So I'm wondering, as you've looked at the Roe Act and in your work in Western Mass, do you see disparate outcomes for the people who turn to you for help? 
So absolutely. I mean, nationwide, the statistics are that disproportionately people who get abortions are low-income women and women of color and people of color. And it has a lot to do with lack of access to medical care, in particular to contraception. Um, Low-income women and women of color have higher rates of unwanted pregnancies. And, um, you know, contraception is expensive and it takes, you have to take time off from your doctor to go to get, I mean, from your job to go to a doctor and get a prescription. You know, there's a campaign for over-the-counter availability of the pill, which I think would be great for increasing access. You know, the pill is expensive and hard to get. Around the country, around the world in countries that have lower unwanted pregnancy rates and lower um, abortion rates, contraception is much more available and much more affordable. For people that really care about abortion, they should be advocating for contraception. But unfortunately, the people that oppose abortion, they often also oppose contraception. Take, for instance, Donald Trump. He passed, um, you know, he has been putting in place policies to make contraception less accessible. So it really, that's what makes me think it's really not about fetuses or about abortion. It's about controlling women. And I would also say about maintaining white supremacy, because I think it's about making sure that white women have more babies to maintain political dominance of white people. Right. And, you know, my grandmother used to say lovingly, but seriously, having children ruins your life. And she didn't mean it actually ruins your life. She meant it changes your life completely because you're no longer free to just be in charge of you. Everything else has got to wrap around taking care of somebody else. And it's not always true for women. There are more single moms than there are single dads. And it's something to think about. And then our society is so unsupportive with regard to childcare. You know, they, for instance, the governor's COVID plan um, had it addressed childcare, but provided absolutely no, no resources to help people actually access childcare. So, you know, again, and the Congress as well, it spent more money bailing out Delta than it did for the nationwide childcare system, $3.5 million. And so, um, you know, they want to coerce women into having more children and then leave it all on their shoulders, um, you know, being paid uh, not the full wages that men earn um, to take care of those children. Yes, uh, like you said, they're trying to make white women have more babies, but white women are getting more, I wouldn't say educated, like going to college or uh, they're getting educated on on real life they see how the mother i see it with my daughter my daughter saw that with me having kids i was i wasn't able to do some stuff so now she's thinking well she's already married and she's thinking oh, I'm going to have kids at 34, 35. And I go like, well, that's a little bit old. But with all the advantages that they have and all that, they see that it's feasible or only having one kid, which I mean, it's only, but the thing is, young people are not like we are. They're not thinking on having four five or six kids. They have one and sometimes they go like, Oh, I'm going to have another one because it's an accident. So, so yes, it's it. like, and yes, it's and that's the other thing. They cannot afford it because it's, it's expensive. 
uh, for to get an apartment. It's expensive to get daycare. It's expensive to get doctors. Food, everything is getting expensier by the minute. It is. Yeah, Especially I mean, care, in this time. Childcare is more expensive than college. You know, a, a year of childcare is more expensive than a year of college. It's, it's, you know, I mean, our society has no infrastructure to support parents to be able to parent. So no wonder the birth rate's dropping. It's just too, it's too difficult. That's right. Too, too, too bothersome. Yeah, we love getting to talk to you. It's a, it's really wonderful. We would also like to be able to let people know how can they support the work that you are doing at the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Mass. We oh. heard about a bowling fundraiser. Can we bowl? Can we send you a check? Can we Venmo? What's, how do we help? Terrific. So we have a website, which is our acronym for Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts. It's arfwm.org. And on the website, we have a donate button and we also have a volunteer button. And so we would love to have you, um, you know, visit our website, see what our resources are, and also let folks know we're here. If you know somebody that needs help, please have them call us. Our number's on our website. We also have a Facebook page. And so um, we post events that are going on and latest news about reproductive rights, uh, research that's happening, new laws that are passing nationwide. So it's, it's a great resource for information. Fantastic. Thank you so much for taking time with us today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's been great. Thank you. You're welcome. A pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thanks.